It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free top of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 831 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, November the 23rd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me, as always, on Twitter, at WoodleySean. Find the show wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all the regular spots. Please leave ratings, reviews, subscriptions, all that good stuff. It's very much appreciated when you go ahead and do that, and also do that for all the other Locked On shows on the network covering the teams that you like every single day. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great resource for sports fans. We have shows for all of the teams in your life, not just your Toronto Raptors. So go find a show you want to listen to, support it by subscribing, rating, and reviewing, and we'll be forever indebted to you. All right. On today's show, the Toronto Raptors offseason is basically done. Uh, we spoke yesterday morning with Katie Heindel about the signing of Fred Van Vliet to stick around, the departure of Serge Ibaka to the LA Clippers, and we were left wondering what the hell was going to happen next. Marcus Gasol was still unsigned. We were unsure what the deal was there. seemed as though a few teams had narrowed in between the Lakers, the Raptors, the Warriors, and there was also talk of other bigs to potentially target, like Harry Giles, who signed as the episode was uploading, uh, <laughs> which is... You know, part of the deal when you're recording during free agency. But today, it seems as though we'll be able to record and have things be nice and up to date and not untimely by the time you listen uh, at whatever point it is today. As the Toronto Raptors, to pivot from the loss of Marcus Saul, who went to sign with the LA Lakers, have signed Aaron Baines, uh, re signed Chris Boucher, and added DeAndre Bembry for a little bit of wing depth. We're going to talk all about that today with our guest, who is one of the hosts of the very, very good Pound the Rock podcast and a writer over at The Score, our pal Joe Wolfon. What's going on, man? Not too much, man. I'm so glad to be here on this momentous occasion. I am very, very happy to have you. You're a particularly smart fellow, and you will be, I think, very good at breaking all of this stuff down. We'll start off a little bit with the Gasol departure and what that kind of means and the whole... Yesterday afternoon, it was a very trying time, I think, on Raptors Internet. A lot of desperation, a lot of uh, despair, a lot of sadness creeping in. I think the Raptors did a pretty good job of pivoting, though. We'll get into the Bane signing, as well as Chris Boucher re-upping for two years, $13.5 million, and then also the DeAndre Benbury, and then just kind of take stock of where the Raptors sit within the Eastern Conference now that most of the offseason moving and shaking is over, barring a James Harden trade to the Nets or the Sixers or whatever. Uh, but, Joe, let's start off with Marcus Saul, who... Uh, I, I don't think it's any secret 
we love. He's wonderful. He's an outstanding player. For me, he like changed the way I enjoy basketball in that I just believe all centers should now be kick-ass passers and maybe shoot three times a game. I think that's the ideal form of the sport at this point, and I'm going to miss him a lot. I don't think you can really begrudge him going to the Lakers, especially as a guy with a young family. He's got uh, Pau Gasol living out in L.A. right now with a newborn uh, kid of his own. It just seemed like a place Gasol wanted to be and not Tampa Bay for a year as sort of a migrant, not getting to play in the city to, you know, for the team he would actually be signing with. It, it, it just it doesn't make a ton of sense, I don't think, for a guy like that to want to go and live in Tampa for six months out of a, a suitcase. So I totally understand the decision. But what was your sort of uh, reaction to Gasol leaving? Was it kind of resigned acceptance? Was it a disappointment considering the loss of Ibaka the day before kind of complicating matters? And how were you sort of processing the entire afternoon yesterday where things, as I mentioned, got kind of dark? Yeah, I mean, it. They, they pivoted so fast that I almost didn't really have time to process it. Like, it's very clear that they had that Baines deal lined up because yeah. it broke literally 10 seconds after the Gasol to the Lakers news broke. But I think the surge leaving definitely did color it a bit because if you kind of think back to the start of the offseason, there were reports that Mark was just going back to Spain. And mm-hmm. I think that whether he was going back to Spain or not, my assumption this entire time had been that he wasn't going to be back with the Raptors and that they were probably going to prioritize bringing back Serge. And so, you know, then with Serge going and signing with the Clippers, rumblings kind of on the heels of that, suggesting that the Raptors were back in on Gasol and were trying to convince him to come back followed by the reports that the Lakers were also trying to get him and that basically all it was going to take was for them to offload JaVale McGee in order to clear up some room under the hard cap. And then, you know, once they found a taker for JaVale, uh, it was pretty much a done deal. So there was like a glimmer of hope there for a minute uh, that was fairly quickly squashed. So I almost didn't really have enough time to get my hopes up too high that I felt like it was such a big come down. And I actually think as much as the aesthetic pleasures of Marc Gasol's game won't be there with Aaron Baines, I think it's a pretty good rebound for them. And uh, of course, like I'll miss Mark for all the same reasons that you mentioned. I loved having him uh, on the team and I think he helped elevate the play of a lot of guys around him and, you know, just watching him play defense and process the game and, sniff out opposing coverages and just basically always manage to be in the right place at the right time, despite being in like, you know, the fifth percentile, maybe in terms of speed in the NBA, maybe even lower than that. He might be the (laughs) single slowest player in the NBA. And yet his effectiveness defensively didn't even wane all that much just because of his economy of movement, because he always knew exactly where he needed to be. And I think, that's something I'm really going to miss a lot on top of, like you said, the passing, which uh, they're not going to be able to replicate that, right? Like they're going to have a lot less kind of high post elbow action, uh, a lot less, you know, offense where guys are sort of cutting off of the big man in the middle. Uh, And I think, I don't know if you want to get into talking about Baines now, but like he'll be, he'll be more of a weapon in the pick and roll, I think, than Mark was. Because by the end of Mark's time there, he was like 
I, I said this on Twitter, but like Mark essentially would like in the pick and roll would set the screen and then stop moving like two, two feet from where he set the screen. Uh, <laughs> he would either like drift to the three point line or he would just kind of stop in place. Like he wasn't, they almost couldn't even really make use of his short roll passing because he just wasn't enough of a threat on the roll to actually draw in defenders, you know, that mm-hmm. opened up shooters. I think a lot more of his passing was just done essentially from the high post. And I think with Baines, actually, he is a sneakily good passer on the short roll. He does have a bit more gravity as a roll man. He can actually score a bit on the roll. He's got a half decent floater and he shoots threes now. So, you know, they don't really lose that element of spacing that they had from Gasol uh, at the center spot. I think Mark's a bit better shooter, um, but I think Baines actually might be a more willing shooter. So. Yeah, uh, last season, I tweeted this number out earlier this morning, but last season, Baines attempted 6.5 threes per 36 minutes. Marcus Gasol attempted 8.7 total shots per 36 minutes. So, yeah, slightly more willing, I would say, it is a good way to sum up Baines. And, yeah, just to go back to Gasol for a sec before continuing on the Baines tip, yeah, like, I... Had I mean, I literally did a podcast entitled Farewell Marcus All because I figured I, I, I jumped a little too soon at the gun of the Barcelona rumors and I kind of had made my peace with it that he was going to be gone, you know, back a couple months ago. Obviously, the pain of losing Serge, who's just such a likable, gregarious dude, and the potential of maybe salvaging some likability in the front court with the return of Gasol, like that, that was certainly exciting. But it did get a little bit iffy yesterday because it really did seem like Gasol was just holding out for the Lakers to get some money to give them and get rid of JaVale. And they did that. And it kind of, you know, it, it never really felt all that likely that the Raptors were going to be able to get something done if that was all still sort of in the in the ether as, as to, in terms of the Lakers' plans. So, you know, I, I had made my piece that Gasol was going to be gone. And then it was just looking at the other options and seeing other options fall off the board in, in Harry Giles and... Uh, Bismack Biombo, who was not like a great option or anything like that, but he was a fun one. Those guys falling off, it certainly got a little bit hairy. I did kind of feel like Baines was probably the backup plan. I even said that as much as well, that like they probably have that next move for probably Baines exactly in the hopper like Danny Green was last year, right? Like waiting for Kawhi's decision and then his move was going to be dictated by that. And so, yeah, I'm not surprised it was that quick in succession that they brought Baines in. But, you know, did I Google at some point yesterday, Jan Vesely, a EuroLeague contract? Yes. Uh, <laughs> dude, I, I Googled Nick Pekovic yesterday, and that dude apparently is a drug lord now. So that was an interesting internet rabbit hole to fall down. Yeah, I, I'm glad that uh, cooler heads prevailed, and I didn't have to talk myself into... Um, Nick, Nick know, Pekovic. Getting Brandon Davies over from Lithuania or anything like that. Um, and yeah, Baines is, is a totally reasonable replacement. Look, center is the most replaceable position there is in the modern NBA. Obviously, you want guys who are good at playing center, but you can put in an infrastructure, I think, to get the most out of a center. And the Raptors, I think, have proven that they very much have that infrastructure in place. Serge Ibaka is not Serge Ibaka the past couple of seasons without Kyle Lowry and what they have going in terms of perimeter defense to bail him out and leave him just as like a, a sort of last line of defense at the rim. And I think that's going to be the case with Baines. I think, you know, he's coming in. He doesn't necessarily have to um, do a ton. He, he'll pick and pop a little bit. Like you said, he'll do some pick and roll stuff. He'll be a last line of defense at the rim. 
I doubt they'll have him, you know, hedge high too often or anything like that or switch on to smaller guys. But because they have the perimeter defense they do, that's kind of all right. And, you know, for a year in a, that was always going to be a transitional season, I think it's a totally reasonable stopgap. You know, and, and to get them on the deal that they did as well, I mean, I think some people sort of looked at the number, uh, which uh, per Blake Murphy, it, it was reported, I think, 14.3 over two years. Um, Blake suggests it's probably going to come in a little bit closer to like 14.17, I think is the exact number he threw out, uh, which keeps about 2.35 million of the mid-level exception open so they can sign uh, Jalen Harris and I believe O'Shea Brissett to uh, longer term minimum deals. So that's good. Uh, it's a good little cap juggling there from the Raptors and also kept that minimum slot open to go and get DeAndre Benbury, who we'll talk about. But the just the way they executed it, I, I think it's a totally reasonable plan B. And, you know, I don't think Baines is better than either Gasol or Ibaka by any means, but I do think we'll see Baines probably kind of look at his best playing alongside guys like Kyle Lowry. It, it just it, Lowry brings that out of bigs. He's gotten lots of bigs paid before. He's made a lot of bigs look good, and I, and I feel like that'll happen with Baines as well. Um, you know, in terms of just like the tangible drop-off, Obviously, Gasol Abaka for a while really seemed like one of the best one-two combos at center in the league. Joe, are you concerned about the talent drop-off there at all with Baines and Boucher being now the the go-to centers, or are you more along the lines of me thinking you know it's center, it's a mercenary spot mostly, and the Raptors can make it work? I'm not going to say I'm not concerned. It is a talent drop-off for sure, and. It's also like an availability drop-off, I think, because Baines has a kind of long injury history. He's not that much younger than Mark. Like, he's going to turn 34 in a couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, He played 22 minutes a game last year, and that was a career high like by a pretty significant margin, and he still only managed to appear in 42 games. So, from I mean, look, like Mark wasn't particularly healthy last year either. Serge missed some time. They, they got by. Um I think it's less <clears throat> it, it I do think the Raptors are in a good position to kind of weather that talent drop off because they're not really constructed in such a way that they need to be overly reliant on big guys. Because yeah. I think, you know, as you mentioned, like their perimeter talent is exceptional. And between Lowry, Fred, Norm, OG, Pascal, uh, like I think there are gonna be a lot of games where that's just the closing lineup. And, yeah. and because of that sort of lack of availability, like neither Baines nor Boucher is going to be a big minute center. I don't think that between the two of them, they're going to be averaging close to 48 minutes a game, which means that we're going to see a fair amount, I think, of like Siakam at the five, OG at the five. Dewan De- Hernandez will be in that mix a bit, I think. But mm-hmm. I do feel like we're going to see the Raps play small more so than we have uh, for the last few years. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and I want to continue to dive into that in uh, just a second. But first, we are going to get a word from our pals over at Built Bar, which uh, you all know by now. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar there is. They have a lot of excellent flavors for you as well, including six brand-new ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. And I got to say, of their original 12-flavor lineup, I think I may have a new favorite after I tried orange on Friday. The orange one 
was freaking delightful. It tasted like a Terry's chocolate orange, except it was good for me. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft, easy to chew, and as I mentioned, they're great for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for keto diets as well. And look, I'm not much of a protein bar guy myself. I've never really enjoyed them. I always find them to be kind of gritty and disgusting-tasting. Built Bars basically just have the consistency of a Mars bar, and they're really, really good. So I uh, highly recommend you test them out. If you have not yet heeded my many uh, words of advice to go and get Built Bar for yourself. Uh, you can, right now, you can go to BuiltBar.com, and you get a free cooler with your purchase while supplies last, along with 20% off of your next order. That's BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON to get 20% off your next, or, next order. Uh, at BuiltBar.com. Again, 20% off with the code LOCKEDON. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax, make your moves They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, we're going to continue on now, diving into the departure of Marcus Saul, the addition of Aaron Baines, what it means for the construction of the Raptors lineups. Just a sec, but a reminder, every Monday over on Locked on NBA, you can listen with Josh Lloyd. Uh, he does a great job over there uh, with the local experts, three local experts covering the biggest stories in the NBA, checking in every single day on Monday. It's uh, it's great. I highly recommend you'll hear me on there once in a while, but you will uh, definitely hear folks who are covering the biggest stories in the league every single Monday over on Locked on NBA. All right, Joe, uh, we were talking before the break about the sort of lineup construction and the reliance on Baines and Boucher and why it might be less than Gasol and Ibaka. And I totally agree with you. I think my excitement with the additions of Bain, with the addition of Baines and the signing of Boucher to be the centers is that they're not good enough that you'll feel guilty about going small, right? I think that was often part of the thing, right, is, you know, Gasol and Ibaka are both quite good, and in Ibaka's case, his offense was quite valuable, and Gasol's case, his defense was obviously incredible, incredibly, valu incredibly valuable. My God, I can't talk today. But, um, you know, in the case of Baines and Boucher, that's just not the case, and I think you're going to be much happier, as you said, kind of skewing small, playing that uh, lineup they played for large stretches in that Boston series with Fred and Kyle and Norm and OG and Pascal. I think OG kind of profiles more based on what we've seen as like the traditional center type in there. And if, you know, we were talking in the first segment about, you know, the, the lack of passing and playmaking now that Gasol's gone, I wonder if OG's maybe the closest approximation you could find of that. Maybe we'll run some elbow stuff with him. I'm not quite sure, but I think they'll probably get to test it out. And that's the part of the fun of this season is testing some stuff out to see how it works. And you're right about Baines and Boucher maybe not really having the availability. I, I think that's certainly a, a concern. And if they do lose 
really anybody in that front court, it's going to be tough to to sort of weather the time, I think, just because of the lack of proven bodies in there, unless DeWan Hernandez can come in and be an NBA player right away, uh, which remains to be seen, obviously. But I, I kind of like the construction there. I, I want to get into the Chris Boucher signing. He, he, you know, I think people's mileage varies on him in terms of how good he actually is and how meaningful his contributions are to a good team. He's a really fun garbage time player, really fun energy big off the bench. Uh, obviously had some great moments last season in those little lineups with Rondé. Um, you know, do you envision him being ready to be like a full-time backup five, maybe a, a, a part-time starter here and there. If him and Baines kind of go back and forth, I'm, I'm sure we won't see Baines start every single game of the year. Um, you know, he's making six and a half million or whatever it is. I, I you know, I think that's, uh, people looked at the number and said, well, that's kind of big. I think it's just the Raptors had money to burn and they weren't going to do it anywhere else. And they're taking care of a guy who hasn't been taken care of yet, which is very cool. And his story is incredible. You know, he's eight years removed from, you know, working at a St. Hubert in Quebec city. It's a, it's an amazing, amazing story for Chris Boucher. So glad he's getting paid. Is he going to live up to that six and a half million or do a decent job of it as the backup center? Or are you kind of on the side of me, Joe, of not, totally being sure if Boucher is like a meaningfully good NBA player. Well, I don't think he, that we should look at it as he needs to live up to the, whatever he's made, like six and a half million because yeah, what, what yeah. the Raptors are paying for there is the optionality. And they, they essentially overpaid for, you know, the one guaranteed year so that they could keep the 2021 cap sheet clean and they get the team option, or I think it's a non-guarantee, which functionally is, the same thing for the second year, which allows them to, I mean, I don't know essentially what the guarantee date is uh, or, or like how they would have to structure the order of operations here. But um, you know, there's always a chance that if he plays well, or if the free agency thing doesn't go the way that they hope that they can just bring him back. And I, you know, so as far as the annual value, I think it's naturally going to be, a bit out of whack when when you're paying for essentially an extra year of mm-hmm. team control. And <clears throat> I do think, you know, situationally Boucher can be really effective. I, the, the team has always sort of, I think, thought of him more as a four than a five. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, like, I guess they're they're going to start OG at the three, obviously, and Siakam at the four, or like those two guys are positionally basically interchangeable. But, you know, unless you sort of conceive of OG as both like a starting three and a backup four, like they don't have a whole lot else going on at the power forward position. Right. So I wonder, like, I feel like Boucher is going to see some time at the four, uh, but then I, do they have enough center depth really to even make that work? Um, I guess that's more of the question, but, but I've kind of, I sort of initially conceived of Boucher as a five and I came around to, to thinking of him more as a four because I, I, he just doesn't have the heft to guard opposing fives. He's not a good enough rebounder. And I, I do think there, there's a chance, like his shooting has been really inconsistent but he's obviously a very willing shooter and can be an effective three-point shooter. Like if that becomes a little bit more consistent, I feel like maybe he can actually stick at the four. Um, and defensively, you know, he, he is hyperactive, he's energetic, he moves his feet pretty well. 
I think in a lot of matchups, he'd be okay as a backup power forward. Um, so I guess to me, it's more a question of, can they find enough minutes at the five for him to actually like split his time between those two positions? Because I don't think that he can really be a full-time backup five. And it, it's not really a question of his ability. I just don't know that that's the right position for him at the NBA level. And I don't know. I, 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 I think that that could potentially be an issue for them because I, I also don't think that Dewan Hernandez is ready to be a backup five on a full-time basis either. Yeah. I almost wonder if like they play like a Boucher Siakam and OG front court, if OG really does just become kind of the nominal five because he's a better screen setter. He is a better rebounder. I mean, he got really good in his rebounding department uh, near the end of the season for sure. And, you know, he, he just kind of, even on defense, he kind of features a little bit more as sort of a girthy um, guy who can sort of hang back at the rim, whereas Boucher kind of profiles as a lankier sort of Siakam type where he can kind of go out to the corners and have those long-distance contests that the Raptors pride themselves on. You know, is he as disciplined a defender as Siakam? No, <laughs> and I don't think he should necessarily be expected to be, but I kind of agree that Boucher has never really seemed like a backup five, but they, I think they'll cobble it together. I, you know, if there's one thing I trust Nick Nurse with, it's to not really care about the designation of the position necessarily and just kind of, you know, toy with things to see how they work and he'll eventually land on something. Um, you know, maybe there's another minimum big out there to, to bring in just as a little bit of extra insurance if someone does get hurt. But I, um, yeah, I, I, I'm... I'm just happier for Boucher to get paid than anything else. And like you said, I'm happy that there's a lot of flexibility there. And I think that needs to be you know, taken into account here. If the Raptors get into this season and, you know, on the power of their, their five best guys really look like they're kind of what they were last year or something close to it, where they are a team that, you know, with a couple right breaks could sneak into a conference finals or potentially a finals. If, if things go all perfectly and their defense holds up and is as good as it was last year, like I could totally see at the deadline them looking and, you know, finding a partner where they could you know package together both that Boucher and Baines deal in season and bring in a, a substantial upgrade for a kind of last kick at the can run with Kyle on the team. And if not, you can get to next offseason. And then, like you said, there, there's the optionality to just decline the team options or non-guarantee the deal. Or you could potentially flip those guys before those guarantee dates and, you know, f- figure out something like an, an addition that way, too. So I, that is the more exciting thing, I think, about these deals, frankly, than the players themselves and the on-court impact. I think Baines will, will be good. I think he's, you know, if you play him 22 minutes a game like he played last year in Phoenix, I think that's totally reasonable. It's just, yeah, the other 26 minutes might be a bit of an adventure. But that's, again, it's to be kept in mind, this season is always about being a little bit adventurous and figuring out what you have in a guy like DeWan Hernandez. And maybe he plays some minutes that he's not quite equipped to play just yet at the at the start of the season but hopefully that leads to by the end of the year he him being a little bit more equipped to play those minutes so that's kind of how I read the entire center situation 
Um, I want to get into DeAndre Bembry and how he kind of fits into all this and how the Raptors kind of stack up now that most of their business is done, Joe, in just a second. But first, uh, just a heads up, uh, tomorrow on the podcast, I'm going to be joined by Kevin Weiss of Locked On Rays uh, down in Tampa Bay. And we're going to talk all about Tampa Bay as a host city for Toronto because that happened on Friday before everything else went down and we haven't got a chance to talk about it too much. So Kevin's going to jump on. We'll get some uh, Tampa geography lessons from Kevin. It'll be a lot of fun. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Tuesday on Locked On Raptors. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, Joe, let's uh, let's dive into DeAndre Bembry, who was a guy who, after the dust cleared on the, the center flip-flopping last night, was uh, added. I think he was someone that I kind of had my eye on. I thought he was a pretty nice little target, potentially. He's not a shooter by any means. He's like a sub-30% three-point shooter, except for, I believe, one season in his career. He's got pretty high assist rates. He's a decent rebounder for his size. He's a very good defender on the wing and just kind of uh, was probably a casualty of all the moving and shaking the Hawks are doing this offseason. But as a pickup, as like a slightly better Rondé who won't fall down all the time, I think it's, uh, it's a nice little move. What did you think of the deal, and where do you think Benbury kind of slots into the rotation? Yeah, he is essentially like a smaller Rondé. He, he doesn't bring the same kind of defensive versatility. Like Rondé could legitimately guard, honestly, five positions. And and mm-hmm. Bembry, like he's more guard-sized and can probably guard like three positions pretty capably. Uh, but he also brings like actual competent ball handling and is a sneakily good playmaker too. So uh, I think it, it's you know, a pretty suitable replacement in that regard. But I see him, I guess, more as like a backcourt piece than a frontcourt piece. But mm-hmm. like you say, he is a good rebounder for his size. And I feel like the Raptors can use all the rebounding that they can get. And mm-hmm. he he is, you know, in that mold of Rondé, just sort of a chaos agent, like just making shit happen. And um, I mean, look, like 2.2 steals per 36 minutes last year. Like he he's extremely active in passing lanes and I think yeah like he can't shoot a lick uh 27% career three-point shooter on low volume but uh he he can actually make some stuff happen with the ball in his hands and I think you know for for the price like he'll he'll be a useful piece so I think given their financial constraints I I don't know how much better they could have done than that uh I do wonder like you mentioned the, the possibility of the Raptors making an in-season trade. And it, to me, it seems like they, like if they were going to deal from a position of strength to address a position of weakness, uh, 
like the, they have a lot of backcourt depth and not a lot of frontcourt depth, like positionally, particularly just at the forward spots, right? Like as far as their forward depth behind Siakam and OG, there's just like not a ton going on there. Um, this is uh Paul Watson erasure and I won't stand for it. <laughs> well, is, is, is Paul Watson a forward or is he more of a guard? I mean, he's six, seven. Yeah. So he could profile as a forward. I mean, he's like at six seven. He's like the fourth tallest raptor. So <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, yeah. I, so it's. I think it's an interesting pickup. I think he could be really helpful. Uh, I I wonder. I guess what his role is going to be, and are they going to be able to find minutes for him? Like we still don't know what's happening with the Terrence Davis situation, and is he going to be on the roster to start the season? Um. So I don't. Yeah. Uh, like, are they done? Do they have more moves to make? Uh, I think that will help clarify where Bembry is going to fit in and what his role is going to be. But uh, the fact that he is the guy that they targeted makes it seem like they probably don't like, there's at least one of those backcourt guys that they don't expect to be on the team uh, either at the start of the year or by the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, I think the Bembry fit to me is sort of as a guy, you can play at the three a little bit. If you want to slide down and play play small with OG at the five. And sort of gives you a, you know, not a great replacement or anything like that, but a, a, a passable guy you can throw in. And if he's playing with four shooters the way they did when Rondé was often his most, you know, successful last season, where they would kind of get him going downhill with shooters around him, you know, because Bembry like actually does have ball handling chops and it's not just like being force fed to Rondé because there's no other option. You know, I think that could totally work. I think you could, you know, craft some pretty reasonable sort of in-between lineups with him as sort of a secondary ball handler or something like that. Um, and he's a good cutter and things like, yeah, I, I think just basically back up to OG feels like where Benbury slots in unless you, you kind of think Watson is worthy of more of a shot, which he might be. I don't know. It, it's tough to say. If they keep on a two-way deal, he'll be able to play 50 games, which is not an insignificant portion of the season. So... I, you know, it's going to be a bit of a patchwork in terms of the bench lineups. I think, you know, I think I would assume you'll have like a lot of Malachi Flynn in the bench, maybe not at the right at the start of the season, but at some point throughout the year, um, Norm Powell obviously will be a big part of those bench lineups. I'm sure they'll have Kyle in the bench run a ton and there are going to be some funky ass Kyle in the bench lineups this year. Oh my God. <laughs> like a, like a Kyle Flynn, Powell, Bembry, Boucher, teensy weensy freak lineup hell yeah it has like a plus uh, 13 net rating somehow <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like the the best defense in the history of the nba <laughs> if uh prorated over the course of a full season yeah um it's gonna be it's gonna be weird <laughs> but i think benbury like will i mean for me he already kind of seems to me like the eighth man or something like that and I, this is all i'm talking about uh this team as though terrence davis is not on it uh, maybe that's poor analysis but uh it's we're gonna speak it into existence uh if if i have my way so you know it, obviously that'll if, if davis is still around that will change the rotation obviously but uh hopefully the right thing is done and he's not on the team anymore and benbury can flourish as the eighth or ninth guy and allow that flexibility to play og and siakam a little further up and you know deal with it i guess you know i I do worry about a little bit because they're going to be so susceptible to just being kind of dead in the water if og or pascal gets hurt this year i do have a little bit of 
you know, reservation when it comes to scaling those guys up and playing them too significant uh, a load at the five. That, that, that could run some risk, but uh, Benbury at least allows that in spurts, I think. It's man, what a weird team this is gonna. Be. They're gonna be good. I don't think that like none of this is to say they're not going to be good because I think it's been proven that uh, Kyle Lowry running a team is going to win something around fifty games at the least. <laughs> and Pascal Siakam is very good and drove winning like crazy last year. And OG I, I think is probably in line for a step up. And Fred is still very good. And Norm's like this is still a good team. It's just gonna be. I think outside of the first eight minutes of the first quarter and crunch time, it's going to be a lot of uh, just sort of throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks and combining different guys together in the in-between times. And that's not even to make mention of like Patrick McCaw, who's still on the team (laughs) and figures to probably play because uh, he's playing for Nick Nurse and Nick Nurse loves him some Patrick McCaw. I don't know. Do you have any other sort of thoughts and notes on the rotation and how it all kind of looks to be shaping up do you kind of agree with me that it's going to be a lot of trial and error oh yeah i think you use the word funky and i feel like that's a great way to describe what this entire season is going to be like uh i the core guys i just trust implicitly like to the point that i still a hundred percent believe that this is going to be a top four seed in the east Mm -hmm. and i do think that will be contingent on health because there aren't you know, a ton of viable replacements for those five guys if one of them goes down. But if, you know, there's a reasonable kind of modicum of availability among the top guys, then I think the team's going to be really good. Uh, I did sort of forget about McCaw, which is foolish of me because this dude played 24 and a half minutes a game on last year's team. So (laughs) I can't imagine how much he's going to play on this coming year's team. Like, it's um yeah it's troubling frankly uh i guess that's who <laughs> Bembry is going to be duking it out with for minutes Bembry and watson and mccaw they're all sort of going to be in that mix at like you know the the two and three uh mm-hmm. spots off of the bench um but yeah like i i, I am interested to see those small lineups because i really like first of all the, you know something they started to do when they were playing with OG at the five more in the playoffs was actually like using him as a screener in the pick and roll. And mm-hmm. I like that look a lot. I feel like that's something that they should explore more often. Like he showed, I think that he is capable of being a short roll playmaker. I think he's capable of being a rim runner who is like athletic enough to, you know, finish on the dive, go up and get a lob. And he also showed like he can be a, a pick and pop weapon. And I think especially in that Celtics series, like the, the pick and pop between him and Lowry was like really effective. Um, I, I think he's going to have a huge year. I, I am torn because obviously this whole offseason has been about sort of staying flexible and trying to keep the team pretty good in the present, uh, but obviously planning for 2021 and an OG extension mm-hmm. would compromise that a bit. But I just think... <clears throat> I don't know if he'll get a full max as an RFA, but I feel like he's going to come close and that they could potentially save themselves a good bit of money in the long term by locking him up now. Uh, Cause I really mm-hmm. think, I mean, I, I thought he a hundred percent deserved to be on an all defense team last year. And if, if he doesn't wind up on an all defensive team this season, I'll be shocked. 
Yeah, he, he might be first team all defense on the wing and then second team all defense at center. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, look, I maybe this is a wild take, but I do kind of think it might be true that the way you talk about how they might use him and, and thinking about how, they, how he looked as the center in lineups in the Celtics series, OG might be the best center on this team. <laughs> I think that is uh, not maybe not an insane take to have considering uh you know how often he's probably going to be asked to scale up and I, I just think it's kind of established that siakam's not really a five um you know mm-hmm. he'll probably get like the basketball reference you know minute distri- distribution credit for being a five at times but like og will be the nominal five i think a lot of the times here and i'm with you the prospect of locking him up to a reasonable deal now it's kind of intriguing you know they've obviously 2021 is the big plan and everything they've done in the offseason very carefully towed that line of keeping that space open um but yeah you know his cap holds like nine million if you think norm's gonna opt out like what is the like if they get get him for 16 could they get him for 16 maybe rich paul's not that dumb maybe rich paul knows that og's in for a big ass year and wants to wait it out because like he's gonna have a ton of responsibility i don't know it's uh that's a question for another day i think any parting shots joe on the bane signing the boucher re-upping benbury other dudes the raptors should potentially target right now how are you sort of feeling about everything as it stands i feel okay like uh, I, you know it's i don't think the raptors have had a bad off season um that you know they locked up fred on a great contract uh, they, they they rebounded from losing gasol and ibaka about as well as i think they could have given the marketplace um but i i do think that the team got worse and i i think offensively it's going to be a challenge mm-hmm. and specifically like two point scoring was already an issue for this team. And yeah. you get a little bit of that in Baines. Like he brings you, I think more two point scoring than Gasol gave, but losing Ibaka's kind of mid range pick and pop game. I feel like that's going to hurt uh, because like, they just don't really have any kind of replacement for that. As much as I like, I would like to see OG more as like a pick and pop weapon. Uh, he's not going to be doing it at nearly the level that Serge did, where a lot of the time it just felt like if he was running pick and roll with Lowry, it was kind of automatic from that mm-hmm. like 15 to 17 foot range. And losing that is going to hurt. And th- there are going to be some offensive droughts, I think, for this team that even Kyle Lowry can't drag them out of. Uh, but look, I think. The, the team continues to have a really high floor like as long as Lowry is there and playing it something close to the level he played at last year. I think the floor for this team is going to be really high. Uh, I, I think Siakam is going to have a great year and sort of wash out the bad taste of that playoff run. I think a lot of people have forgotten just how good he was during the regular season, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because of the recency bias thing, which, you know, to be fair, he was, he was really bad in the playoffs, but <laughs> Um, but I think he'll, I mean, I'm hopeful that he'll remind everybody in short order, uh, just how good he's still capable of being. So, you know, I'm fully expecting to go into this year with basically every prognosticator pegging them to finish like seventh or eighth in the East. 
And then they obviously come back and just like win close to 50 games again, even in a 72 game season. Yeah, I mean, they could do that and still be sixth because I think there are six very good teams in the East. Um, and, you know, they, they could, I think like their range is probably anywhere between like three and six. And if you're six, there's no shame in that. And yeah, I mean, the entire goal of the offseason, a goal of the Raptors in general, their entire ethos is be good, be relevant, wait for a chance to strike. And we can very much see what they're hoping to strike at in 2021 by everything they've done, whether it's Giannis or something else. And they've also maintained that floor. I think Fred was the key, uh, the key signing to maintain that floor. If he lost, had he lost Fred, like things would have been pretty dark, I think, but you know, they, they keep him, their top five remains very strong and they come with a lot of seasoning and a lot of sort of continuity among those guys. And I, I think they're going to be, Quite good again. Do they get past the first or second round series? It'll depend on matchups, obviously, and maybe midseason additions, like you said. We didn't even mention that, like, you know, in addition to that 14 or so, 13 or so million from Baines and Boucher, they can also cobble together a McCaw and a Johnson for four million bucks each and really go for a big addition if they wanted to. Or even Norm, perhaps, if it looks like Matt Thomas is really hitting or something. We didn't even talk about Matt Thomas. There's a lot of dudes who are going to get a shot on this team. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think the, there, there are worse things. They're still sort of in the afterglow of the title, and this was always going to be a bit of a strange season, a bit of a transitional year that is going to feel worse if it is a little bit of a step back because last year was so unexpectedly great. But it should not be lost that last season was unexpectedly great. They were not supposed to go into that season and have their literal best winning percentage of all time they did it because you know Kyle Lowry's a, a magician and Pascal had an amazing year and their defense was absurd they might not do that again this year but that don't that won't mean that they're not good that they can't win a series or two in the playoffs and that this was like a failure of an offseason it's certainly a step back but it's not the end of the world there's not a death knell or anything like that losing a surgeon Gasol and replacing them with Baines so I think that's probably a good place to leave it. We went a little long today, but it seemed worth going long for today. Joe, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Just the usual stuff. I write at the score. Um, you can find all my stuff there on the website or the app. Uh, I tweet most of it out. Uh, my Twitter account at Joey underscore W. And uh, myself and uh, Joseph Cacharo, who's the other NBA feature writer over there, did uh, some massive pieces over the weekend where we broke down every single free agent deal that was handed out. Uh, so you can go and check those out if you're interested. And as you mentioned off the top, we host Pound the Rock weekly NBA podcast where we cover the entire league. Uh, and always free to subscribe or give that a listen. So that's all I got. It's a very, very, very good podcast. Um, like literally one of two serious NBA podcasts I listen to. Otherwise, it's just uh, you know people fucking around talking about butts. Uh, <laughs> but I appreciate you that, and man. Zach, you guys and Zach Lowe, you guys are the bee's knees when it comes to uh, if I want to hear people smarter than me talk about basketball. 
that's where I go. Uh, and hey, thanks for coming on and being a person smarter than me on this podcast, Joe. It was lovely talking to you. Um, you can find me, as always, at Woodley Sean. Subscribe to, rate, review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's very much appreciated when you go ahead and do that. It takes like two seconds of your time, so please consider it. Um, as I said, tomorrow we've got Kevin Weiss on from Locked On Rays to talk all about Tampa Bay and uh, get acquainted with the Raptors' temporary home this year. Wednesday this week as well. Uh, we're going to be doing the Serge Ibaka moments from his Raptors 10-year fantasy draft with myself, Katie, and Vivek. That should get very, very heated. Probably be a two-parter that runs Wednesday and Thursday. And uh, lots of regular fun on the podcast as well throughout the week. And uh, hell, training camp starts in a week now. So we'll be gearing up for that as well. Uh, so thanks for being with us. Thanks for being a listener. Thanks for being a pal. And we'll talk to you again on Tuesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.